ask your blessing as we as we as we open up uh, this discussion. We ask your blessing on our time. Really, is our last uh, last last Sunday morning to talk about this subject, and and I'm, I'm thankful for it. I pray that this semester has been been good for us in many different ways, but I do pray that you would help us now as we uh, come together, as we gather together, that you would open our hearts and minds to to confirm to us who you are, the reality of who you are, and that uh, that we'd be strengthened in our faith. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, so, like I said, this is the this is the last week of um, of the apologetic series. Next week we're going to start um, we're going to start our own Advent series, and uh, the 16th I'm preaching. So I won't I won't pro- I most likely won't do Sunday school on the 16th. Um, so I'll need somebody to to fill in for me there. But the other Sundays, and I don't, I'm almost certain we don't have Sunday school on the 24th. So really, there's only two, two to three weeks of this like Advent series we'll we'll get into. Then January, uh, which is the kind of the, all all of us go to Sunday school in the main sanctuary building, and then uh, February we'll get started back. So uh, I want to re- recap because we've been. We've been in this discussion for, I guess, this is a third week now, but really it's been about a month because we missed last week. So, not, uh, the week before and the week before that, we we sort of started talking about this uh, discussion of clues for God. So we we've mentioned a couple today, and I'm just going to write them. Uh, the first one was was personal uh, experience. Uh, the Bible was another one. Um, the third one was what was the cosmological argument, cosmo, and then we did the the moral argument. That was one for sure. Help me out. I don't need to write these. Moral, um, teleo. So this is the FTA fine tuning, um, and then. Beauty, the argument from beauty, beauty, love, there's a reason I'm writing these on the board, uh, and we're going to add a couple more, okay, so we're going we're gonna to talk about a few more, and then we'll sum everything up, and if we have time, I'll, I'll kind of rank these, and there's a reason I want to do that, I know that kind of sounds weird, um, okay, so a couple more, we got three more that we're going to talk about, but we're going to be super fast, these are going to be really quick. You're going to kind of laugh at how quick these are, okay? Uh, the first one, or the I guess the seventh one. Wow, that was really bad. <laughs> I was looking at it like this, so it was kind of going down. All right, this one's Pascal's Wager. Anybody familiar with that? Anybody familiar with this? This is the worst one that I'm going to mention. This is like not a good argument, but it is an argument. Uh, sorry, D- does anybody say yes? You might know what Pascal's wager is. Okay. Uh, this argument begs the uh, individual to consider the consequences of the beliefs that are on the table. Okay. So it's sort of like thinking like this: What is the what is the consequence for me? 
if I'm wrong? What's the consequence for me if there is no God? The consequence is me. For, for me, is the same as everybody else. Mm-hmm. All right, what's the consequence for the person, the atheist, uh, if there is no God? Hell. Hell, right? Um, so again, that's basically it. That's Pascal's wager. As you consider the consequences, the ramifications of what if you're wrong. And it sort of makes you think about, well, okay, why don't I just like hedge my bet? You know, why don't I just kind of believe? There's a reason this is like the worst argument, because it doesn't get you anywhere near Jesus. It just makes you think about, okay, maybe I might want to think about this. Right? I've heard of it. I just never heard it called Pascal's yeah. Wager. Blaise Pascal. That's that's his one of his things. He, C.S. Lewis also used it as well. Yeah. And he, he definitely drew from him. But it is a thought, not a great one. I would put this in like the E range, A, B, C, D, E-ish range. Um, all right, any thoughts on that? Here's the next one. You're really going to laugh at this one. Anybody know what the ontological argument is? Big word. Ontological argument. This one. Uh, th- this this one I would put somewhere in the middle, but people who are very smart and philosophical, get really good philosophical thinkers, put this in like the S or the A. Like this is really high. There's because there's not a great defeater for it. Okay, here's the argument. You can ask me questions. I'll try to answer it, but um, it's simply this, and it's gonna sound silly. I, I, I just I'm just gonna lay it out there. Okay. If it's possible, here's argument. If it's possible that there is a God, if it's possible that there's a maximally great being in any universe, then it's true that there is a maximally great universe uh, being in this universe. That's the argument. If it's possible that there's a God in any universe, (coughs) then it's true that there's a God in this universe. I'm sure you have a lot of questions and thoughts, so I just want to hear what they are, and I'll try to answer them. Um, I just encourage you to read a book about it or watch a YouTube video maybe I'll send something later but uh, this is this is one of those really deep philosophical um, points that are made so if someone agrees with you that it's possible then the argument is that it's true it's true it has to be don't they have to believe in all the other stuff first before they believe that yeah I mean you, the, again this doesn't get you to Jesus yeah, but it is an argument for theism, that there is a God. Uh, somebody might say, well, you know, what about a, a maximally great island? If there's such, th- such a thing as a maximally great island in, in any universe, then it must be there. Uh, is, is there such a thing as a maximally great island in any universe? Well, not really, because that's subjective. What is a maximally great island? Uh, a maximally great being... Which we would, which the closest thing to that would be God. I mean, that that is a God. If He exists in any universe, for Him to be maximally great, He would have to exist in every universe. Mm-hmm. And that's just a weird philosophical thought. Again, it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't fully understand it, but other people say it's great, so I'll just believe the other people. Uh, here's another one. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll just go. I see. This is. Uh, Abbreviation for irreducible complexity. Okay. Uh, anybody familiar with this one? A 
again, we're kind of getting into the weeds, but I think these are, these are pretty good. Uh, t- let's talk about a mousetrap. Uh, give me what are some of the com- what is a component of a mousetrap? Just just it show lures them with something they like. So there's bait. Yeah, bait. It's one component. What else? Spring. Spring. Gotta have the spring. What else? It's already ready to trap them. <laughs> Sorry. You gotta have the trigger. You gotta put the bait on the trigger or near the trigger. You gotta have the spring. What else? You gotta have a base. Did somebody say that? You gotta have a base for the trap. The thing that catches you. You gotta have the the trap itself. Whatever that is, the latch or whatever. You've got to have all of these parts. And if you, for example, if you take the spring away, right, um, then the trap doesn't work. If you take the bait away, well, I guess it works, but you're not going to be catching any mice. Uh, if you take the base away, then you have nothing. You, do you see what I'm saying? Every one of the pieces of the mouse trap depends upon the other piece for it to work. The argument is if you consider how evolutionary theory uh, posits that we, we came to be, um, which is that we came to be due to the process of unguided, and that's a key word, unguided uh, process of random genetic mutation, then how does that explain how all of these parts, for example, in the human cell, which depend upon all these different types, uh, all these different mechanisms within the cell to work, how is it possible that all of them came into existence if, it, if we need all of them to work at the same time? Does that make sense? If you take one of them away, then this, the cell breaks down. It doesn't work. Uh, so how is it possible that all of these mechanisms within the cell evolved without the other parts of the mechanism there? Because they, they would, it, it looks like to the to the rational person that somebody put all these all of these mechanisms in place so that the cell could work. Uh, it's really there's really not a good argument to to suggest how all of those parts in the cell and then that's why the, the thing is called irreducibly complex. You can't take one of them away. It's complex and it's irreducible. Um, and so it's uh, again there's not a very good arguments to uh, a book on this is called um, uh, Darwin Devolves by a guy named Michael Behe. He's a, if you just type in Michael Behe on you know, Google, you'll find some really good resources. He's, uh, he became a believer because he was, he, he was, looking, he's a, he was looking into uh, Darwin's theory of evolution, found it lacking, and uh, wrote some books. He wrote, a, he wrote a book some years ago called Darwin Devolves, if you've ever heard of that one. Or Darwin, Darwin's Black Box, excuse me. Um, and uh, he's he's really good uh, thinker on this. Okay, so what does all of this mean? Uh, what do all of these clues uh, add up to, to for us to, to say? Okay, again, they don't independently prove God. Like like one of them doesn't exactly prove God, but they add up. Um, but what would the what would the naturalists say about them? That uh, that they came that that they came up due to adaptive advantage. You know, kids believe in God because it's a nice fairy tale and it ha- helped us survive. Really, their clues are clues to nothing. And so evolutionists say that if God makes sense to us, it's not because He's really there. Like if we consider all of these arguments 
And all of these things are kind of compelling. It's not because he's really there. It's only because that belief, you know, especially in the past, helped us uh, uh, through the, the process of natural... It, it helped us survive, and so we're sort of hardwired to believe that there's a God. But here's kind of the tenth and final argument. If we can't trust our belief-forming faculties to tell us the truth about God, why should we trust them to tell us the truth about anything, which includes evolutionary science? If our cognitive faculties only tell us what we need to survive, not what is true, why trust them about anything at all? Um, it seems that evolutionary theorists have to do one of two things. They could backtrack and admit that we can trust what our minds tell us about things, which includes God, if we find arguments or clues to God's existence that seem compelling to us, well, maybe he's really there. Or else they could go forward and admit that we can't trust our minds about anything, which is not fair to do what so many evolutionary scientists are doing now, which is to say, don't believe your minds because they're not truth-telling faculties, but you have to believe evolutionary theory. And I know that's kind of a, a mind wrap, but it's a huge Achilles heel. Darwin himself wrote this. That he saw this being a major vulnerability. He wrote this to a friend. The horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Did you all hear what he said? The horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man, man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower <coughs> animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. I think he's, he's being honest here. The point is to say it is irrational. Uh, the point is you can't say it's irrational to believe in God without saying it's also irrational to believe that there is no God because we can't trust our minds. There's more of a conflict between science and naturalism than there is between science and theism. I'm going to read a quote uh, from Keller. This is the last quote that was on your handouts last week, so if you still have those. Uh, probably many of you don't, but here's the quote. Dennett portrays reason in service to natural selection and as a product of natural selection. But if reason is a product of natural selection, then how much confidence can we have in a rational argument for natural selection? Power of reason is owed to the independence of reason and to nothing else. Evolutionary biology cannot invoke the power of reason even as it destroys it comes down to this. If, as the evolutionary scientists say, what our brains tell us about morality, love, and beauty is not real, if it is merely a set of chemical reactions designed to pass on our genetic code, then so what is their brains? Then so is what their brains tell them about the world. Then why should we trust them at all? Okay, again, this is not what we do, though. We perceive truth. Our argument is we perceive truth in the world based on rationality. Because God's created a universe that is rational, and he's given us minds that are capable of perceiving that rationality in the world, and, uh, and we've been created by a rational God. Okay, so what do we do with all this? I'm curious what you all think is, um, these, are just, these are just like nine or ten things. There's, there's dozens. There's, I think I referenced Plantinga's book last week, which is two dozen or so clues for the, re, uh, for the existence of God. Um, here's just like 10. We, we've just talked about 10. We could, we could stretch this out longer if we wanted to. But I'm curious what you think. I mean, a, as you look at these, as you consider these, that, like we've been doing the past three weeks, um, again, you know, you, you take 
nine of them away, you take eight of them away and you have just one, well, that doesn't get you all the way there. I think there are some that are pretty close. Like, I think personal experience is a great one. I think the, the, the moral argument's probably the best one, or at least it's my favorite one. And I think you, that gets you really, really close. I'm curious to hear what y'all think is, is one of the more compelling ones uh, for you as we, uh, when you think about the things that we've talked about. <coughs> the um, fine-tuned argument to me is that one and the original full complexity yeah. uh, to, that I always think about when I'm talking to people that yeah. are non-believers. I mean, I think it's much more likely to believe that there was a design and this just happened by accident. Right. When you look at those two things. Um, and so, to me, those those are the two that I go to. Yeah. That give me my strongest belief that there's a God. Well, we're talking to a, a physician here. You know, you're thinking like a physician. So, and I think that's great. I think I think other people are drawn to different arguments because of what they're interested in, and and, and they're more compelling because of their, what they're interested in. Um, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, when when you take all of these things, there. There seems to be this huge gap for the atheist. How do you explain a lot of these things? Right? Well, maybe there are multiple universes when you're talking about the fine-tuning argument. And again, you just think about the the illustration that I, that I mentioned. You know, if you if you're in the if you're in 1895 in, in New Mexico and you're playing cards and you're dealt four hands by this guy who brought his own deck, uh, four aces three times in a row by a guy who's br- who brought his own deck, what are you going to think? Are you going to think, man, well, this is just some random universe in which this has happened, or are you going to think he did something? He, he, he did something to give himself these four aces. Of course that's what you're going to think. And so you look at all of these clues, and it, it seems to me very rational to believe that there is a God. And, and all of this to say, the, the reason, I hope one of the biggest takeaways that we've gotten from this discussion is that it's rational for you to believe that there is a God. Why is that important to talk about? Because the world tells you it's not rational. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the big thrust of the, uh, of the conversation in the West, is that it's not rational for you to believe in God. You're silly, you're foolish, it's just a fairy tale. I think it's actually the other way around. I think it's a big leap to believe that there is no God, that there's no creator. I, I, I would hope that uh, as we study this stuff, you feel strength. You feel like your argument's really good. That you have grounds. You have reasonable grounds. You're not just believing in a fairy tale. You actually have like reasonable grounds for believing that there is a God. Uh, again, we haven't really gotten to Jesus. There are reasons for that. I think the Bible gets us, gets us there. But, um, but, but that there is a God is a very rational thought. Any 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 thoughts along those lines? I mean, don't you? I, I think that when I think about my life, and this is more for not like what you were talking about when you're talking to other people, but like for your own kind of like speaking to your own doubt. Mm-hmm. That there have been times in my life that the source of doubt has been like a very intellectual type of thing, yes. and then there have been times that the source of doubt has been more like suffering related. And I think that some of these speak to those different kind of sources of doubt, if that makes sense, yeah. in different ways. So what do we? What's a good thing to do? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think 
think about all of them and yes. also like think about when you're talking to other people what is their source of doubt right. and like if their source of doubt is suffering then I think you're going to pull on different things right. than if their source of doubt is some like science driven intellectual debate um, did I mention the This American Life episode did I mention something about that yes I did. about the, the the woman and the coach the football coach, coach. Yeah. yeah okay uh, basically, the guy gets into he get, he does the guy what you're saying not to do, and this woman over here suffering because her friend died from breast cancer, and this coach is trying to explain her why all of those things happened, and he's he's going to things like we're talking about, and it's like really painful to hear the conversation because he's not empathizing with her, and he's not getting to her you know where she is. She's not, he's not speaking to where she is. He's just trying to prove that he's right, and that's not what apologetic is. We're, we don't do apologetics to prove that we're right. That was the, that was what we talked about the very first week. We don't do apologetics to prove that we're right and they're wrong. Uh, we do this to help our own doubt, to minister to our kids, to minister to our family, to minister to our coworkers, and, and to love them well. And and that's really the only way that people are going to know Jesus is to is to experience the, the grace and, and love that He has to offer. And that doesn't come off when someone has died and you're walking through the fine-tuning argument. You know, that's a really good point. Know them all well. Study them all, especially if it interests you. I mean, um, I think it's helped me to, to think about it like from the opposing, like like a naturalist or a... Yeah. But can you remind me, what's the difference in atheist and agnostic? Which is the one that believes there's a... Agnostic. They believe there's a higher power, yeah. but that it's not God. Or they don't know what it they is. They don't know what it is. I was listening to... Uh, I don't listen to Andrew Huberman, but I know a lot of people do. I just saw this clip of him where he said there, I get, he, he knows a lot about biology and neuroscience, and he said, I, I think there's a God. Um, he didn't talk about who that God was. But that would so be more of an agnostic, agnostic view. And atheist believes in nothing. That, there's no, that there is no higher power. That's a pretty important way to say so it. So where does naturalist fit? Like, which one are they? That would be the, the atheist. Okay. If I use those terms... And it was confusing to you. I'm sorry. But that's more of a specific way of saying someone that believes in a process of unguided uh, evolutionary theory. We got here without any help from a higher power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why did that get you? Okay. What did I say? I found this on the web. What but I, I think that's here? what's helped me is to think like that because I've never thought like that. So I think that my arguments or like yeah. the way I explain don't make sense to someone because yeah. I've never thought how they think. So through this, it's helped you think like that kind right. of or yeah. how you would respond to what they believe is and what they're passionate about. And, and to maybe get you ready for some arguments you might see. I hope that's that's one thing that, that helps. Uh, one thing for me, uh, so like, you know, you, you were talking about how you know everybody's experience and everything like that. Um, I always went towards the fine tuning and the cosmology because you know, coming recently coming out of college, it's very when you have professors that are really down on the naturalist view, it made me go and have debate. Yeah. Well, with the fine tuning argument, you can go to science and most of the scientists back in the day when they were discovering all this stuff they were Christians and right. they were using and this may have been talked on previously I don't know uh, but the law of sec the, the second law of thermodynamics you know it basically says everything goes from 
yeah. a place of you know stableness to chaos. And in the naturalist view, I would tell professors, would it, you know, it doesn't make sense if you're going in a debate because it goes from chaos to stable, not you know yeah. the other way around. Yeah, people people have been making. I mean, Aquinas. If you if you want to really look into some arguments al- along those lines. Uh, a medieval theologian, Aquinas, thousand years ago, was talking about this stuff. He had five, he's, it's called Aquinas, uh, uh, five, the five ways, and he just talks about basically for every cause, there's a, for every effect, there's a cause, and it's a really good argument. And, you know, to your point, and, and again, to Caroline's point, I mean, what if you get in that conversation with someone who clearly knows about science and biology way more than you do, and they ask you, well, why do you believe if all of this, you know, if I've just given you my arguments and you just say, well, uh, I was baptized when I was 15 and, you know, oh, yeah. you, you point to personal experience. Uh, you know, that's not going to be very compelling when they just gave you this scientific argument. Uh, and you're not going to go toe-to-toe with them. Don't think you are. But you can say, look, I, I just don't think the science clearly points to what you think it does. I think there are good reasons to believe that this world came into existence through a process of random genetic mutation through this big bang that was unguided, that there was no higher power, um, is is hard for me to believe in. And so I think you're right. That's a good thought. Uh, any other thoughts? I'm curious, has anybody ever done like a study on Stephen Hawking and like he's a vocal um, non-believer? Like there's no, I think it's not agnostic, just atheist. Yeah. It's a, it's a leap. Yeah. It's a leap of faith. And for a lot of people, um, that's 100% true. That's 100% true. What did you say about it's a leap to believe that, but it's also a leap to believe? Like, we could all agree that it's both a leap. Well, I would say faith is in play in all of them. Um, Even the atheist. Yeah, like your faith in this. this the yeah. biggest and my faith in this. Me. And and I, I. Uh, <coughs> if you, so John Lennox is another guy that I would consider you an N.T. Wright consider you to, to study, uh, but basically I've heard them set, ha- give the same answer to the same question, and somebody posed this question to John, who's a mathematician. Uh, but he's, he's, a, he's a great apologist. And somebody asked him, you know, why do so many of your colleagues, you're, you're, you're pausing all these, why do so many of your colleagues believe differently than you? And uh, N.T. Wright was given this question, and, you know, he said, uh, basically he noticed a lot of them when they were in grad school and, and, and uh, undergrad, as they were shifting away from the Bible, he noticed uh, basically, he just said a lot of them just wanted to sleep with their girlfriends, you know. And his whole point is, they don't want they don't want there to be a God that has to, that has some some restrictions on what they want to do. And so we're going to find clues that support our desires. And I think I mean I think that's a simplistic way of of, of proving a point that I think is really there that 
what if there is a God? Well, that means a lot of things for me in the way that I live my life. And that doesn't sound very fun to a lot of people. So, there's a lot of reasons, though. I mean, it's not that simplistic, but but it is a good thought. Uh, final thoughts. Speak now. One thing I think Christians often want to have trouble, like we want to be able to prove something. Mm-hmm. And there's, like we just said, there's a leap of faith in either direction. And if you believe in the Bible, you can, the God says no one can come to him without God, I mean, Jesus or God right. being calling that person. And so all you can do is show them that there's a leap of faith. You're talking to a non-believer. you got to be okay with, if they don't believe you, that's between him and God. And right. All you can do is kind of show show your belief and everything, but God will have to call that person. So. You know, here's, here's another thing that I would want you to consider that's ha- actually helped me a lot. Um, don't, it's tempting to think when you're in the middle of doubt, and you've all experienced before, if you haven't, you're going to. It's tempting to think when you're in the middle of, of, of some deep doubt that if you just move over to the other side, you're not going to have any doubt anymore. <laughs> like if you, just, if you just go along with what other people, okay, I'm just going <coughs> to abandon this and go over here, and then you're not going to have any of these agonizing questions anymore. And I don't think that's true at all. Um, there's a book... Um, there's a book I wouldn't necessarily commend it to you because I'm not crazy about the author himself but it's a book about his relationship with Christopher Hitchens who is one of the uh, if you ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse like in the um, it's Hitchens, Dawkins, Dennett and Sam Harris and so Hitchens is one of the big new atheists that have made a lot of uh, People deconstruct their faith. He he's was a very smart guy. He died some years ago. But in his book about his relationship with Christopher, as he was dying, he, he knows he's going to die soon. Uh, he gets on this, uh, he gets in this, he says, let's take a road trip. And uh, the fir- one of the first things he does um, when he, uh, when, they, when they get, he sits in the pastor seat, one of the first things he does is he pulls out a Bible. He says, all right, Larry, uh, let's walk through the Gospel of John. Just tell me about it. What you got for me? And this is within months of his passing. And at some point during the uh, discussion, he he asks, Larry made a good point, and, he, and, and Christopher just flat out asks him, he's like, okay, Larry, if all of this is what you're saying is true, why do you think I don't believe in God? And Larry just boldly says, you know, I think you've, the history of your writings and all of the, the things that you've said, it would just be so painful for you to walk all of that back and, and kind of swallow your pride and do that. And he didn't say anything. He just sat there. And he died a couple months later. And, I mean, that story doesn't prove anything, obviously. I, I, I just think it, here's one of the great atheist thinkers of our time experiencing some sort of doubt. And it helps me to, I don't know, it kind of helps me to think, like, you think just shifting over to the other side is going to make you have no doubt? Of course not. Of course not. I think Stephen Hawking, Christopher Hitchens, if those guys are honest, on their deathbed, if they had this opportunity, there's going to be some level of angst in them. Um, did I get all of this right? Because, again, if it were true that all of their arguments were airtight, then, no, then none of them would have any doubt, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And that's where you could do the Pascal's wager. And, that, and again, I put it up there for a reason. I, I, I don't. 
I wouldn't necessarily think there are many opportunities for me to use it, but it's uh, it makes sense, I guess. <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, well, we are going to uh, end a little bit early. We've gone for 30 minutes anyways. And, um, and again, we're going to get back together next week. Uh, but, but again, don't think, don't think we're never going to talk about this again. I, I do. Uh, I'm just interested in the, in the subject itself, so it'll come up, I'm sure, as we're teaching. Uh, as I continue to do the Sunday school stuff, but uh, if you have any thoughts, questions, and you want to, you know, want to talk about some doubt or something that you face, please let me know. Just send me a text, email me, and, and I'll love to get together. So, all right, let's pray. Father, again, we uh, we praise you for for creating us with rational minds, for creating a universe uh, that's rational and able to comprehend. In the midst of, of so much chaos, everything is ordered. Everything has a cause. And we trust that you are the unmovable, original, infinite cause. And uh, we, we praise you uh, for who you are. So, so, Father, please strengthen our faith. We pray for our families. We pray for our family members that don't believe. Um, I know we all have some. Uh, I pray that you would reach out to them, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would use us in any way we can maybe even through some of the things we've talked about, to reach out to them. Um, so thank you for this time, and I ask your blessing on this group moving forward. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's not make too much of a uh, noisy. noisy exit. Stick around and talk to each other. But uh, Oh, wait, especially, especially remember what it was like being in our classroom. I don't know you're going to go straight for the coffee. Gotta but get just them back. Well, yes, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Go get it back. Uh, yeah.